This morning, as we look at God's Word, we're in James chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair not too far from you, either in front of you or behind you. There should be a Bible near you that you can grab. Um, if you do grab one of the Bibles out of one of the chair racks, then it will be, I believe, page 1011 uh, will be where James chapter 2 will be in the Bibles, in the racks, in your chairs. Um, you know, lesson, this morning, the Word of God to us is very pointed, and it's very um, applicable, as all of James has been. Uh, if you are not, if, if you, this is not, you know, you're a guest here this morning, then you'll get to hear some very clear words that God speaks to his church this morning. And I'm glad you're here as we process what God would say to us through his word this morning. Let me start with a question, and the question is this, uh, what do a subway and church have in common? I don't mean the subway restaurant. <laughs> What do a subway and church have in common? Now, there's all kinds of things that may be running through your head. Some of you are like, well, they both run late. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, they're both feel full of weird smells. Nope, not looking for that one either. I hope that's not the case here, but sometimes the case in churches. Uh, they're both filled with announcements of places I probably won't go. I hope that's not the case either, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Here's what I'm thinking of. A subway and the church, where they have in common is this. They are one of the few places, I think, in our world um, and in our culture where very different people will be sitting shoulder to shoulder. When you think about how our world is segmented and compartmentalized, um, we separate people by ages, we separate people by gender, by what you do, by where you work, by where you live. We separate people all out, all these different places and ways that very infrequently, if you don't want to, you don't really have to be or certainly sit shoulder to shoulder with people who aren't like you. But on a subway, this isn't the case, right? If you, how many of you have ridden the subway? A few, okay, most of us, most of us, you know what I'm talking about, right? So on a subway, it's different, right? You could be sitting, if you get to seat, if you get to sit, right? If you get a seat, uh, you could be sitting side by side with anyone. The teenager on her way to school, sitting beside the elderly gentleman who's on his way to receive chemo treatments at MGH, or the... Uh, guy who's going to work that's got his name on his shirt, going to work for minimum wage to roll burritos at Chipotle, sitting next to the guy who's going into the back bay in a $5,000 suit to manage a hedge fund, or uh, anybody, the sick beside the healthy, the weak beside the strong, the rich beside the poor, Blacks beside white, beside Asian, beside Islanders, beside Africans, beside Latinos, and every other race and nationality you can think of. And you might hear more languages you don't know than languages you know. Happens on a subway. I hope, and I think, it can happen in church too. That you sit side by side. Now don't look too closely at the people beside you now. But you sit side by side beside people who may be very different from you. Uh, the grandparent beside the teenager. Uh, whatever sphere of work you may be in or maybe you're retired and you sit beside someone who's maybe just getting started or heading to college. 
rich beside the poor, whatever it is, the sick and the healthy. We sit side by side. Those are some of the things that are similar. But I want to talk to you this morning about what's different. Even though you have some similarities, I think there's something that's very different, and we're going to get to that this morning. But first, let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 13. James, again, as we talked about, was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote uh, this, um, these words to the early churches right after the time of Jesus' death, resurrection, writing in that time period, the first century, right around 49 AD, uh, wrote these words to Christians who were dispersed and living around the empire at that time. And he's teaching them how to live as Christians. And so he writes these words, and we're going to see an exhortation, a clear teaching, and we're going to see reasons why he gives that exhortation. Here's what James says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, as we look into your word for these next few minutes this morning, would you guide us? Father, would you guide my words? Let them be what you want said. Lord, open our hearts and our ears to understand what you would say to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a hard word. Uh, I don't know if you caught the exhortation in there. It's pretty clear in the very first verse. My brothers, show no partiality. And we might say it, don't play favorites. And especially when you're in church, don't play favorites. Show no partiality. 
Here's what I think about partiality. I think three things are true about partiality. They're true about me, and I'm guessing maybe they're true about you too. And here they are. One is we all think it's wrong. Uh, we don't have, if we took a poll, most of us would say, yep, playing favorites is wrong. Two, we don't like when people do it to us. Uh, especially when we're on the negative side of someone who's playing favorites. And three, we don't think we really have a problem with it. That it's someone else's problem. I mean, we're not perfect, but we don't think we really have a problem with partiality and playing favorites. But James says here, watch out. Don't show partiality. And he's talking to the church, so he's saying, look, this happens in church. What James is saying, I think, is this. Pay attention to whom you pay attention. You might think, well, this doesn't happen to me. You know, I'm, I, I like everybody. I love everybody. I said, well, who do you pay attention to? Pay attention to whom you pay attention. I don't think this is a problem that only happened in the first century. I mean, I may be naive, but, but I think maybe playing favorites and favoritism and partiality may also be a problem in the church in the 21st century. Maybe something we don't want to talk about or don't like to talk about, don't like to admit to. But it's something we feel. That we have a tendency to pay attention to certain people and not pay attention to others. James gives an example. He says, well, okay, maybe you don't think you're doing this. Let me give you an example. And he gives this example of a rich man. He, he literally says, gold-fingered man with shiny clothes. I don't know if that also would say riches in our day, but that's what he says. A man with gold on his fingers and shiny clothes walks in. He's a rich man. And you see him come in and you think one thing. But then you see a poor man come in and you treat him differently. So it's like James is talking about a church like we have today, back then. And just like church today, we would say, hey, anyone's welcome to come in. In fact, we want people to come in who may not normally come here. It was like that back then. And so people would come in and check out what was going on in the church and in the gathering of Christians. And sometimes those people would come from all different walks of life. So today, if somebody rolled up, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're outside and you're coming in and you say, hey, what's that? And I don't know what kind of car catches your eye. I mean, I guess it's different for all of us, right? I don't know what kind of car, if you saw it drive in, you think rich person, Right? I don't know what that is. I don't know what your level of income is. I don't know where you are. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, a Mercedes 500 series rolls in or an X5, you know, BMW rolls in or, or, or maybe it's the latest Tesla model, you know, rolls in. Someone rolls in the Tesla X and the gullwing doors go up and they walk out in their, you know, St. Laurent clothes and Armani suits or whatever and Tory Burch purses. I don't know what says money to you. You know, but they, they walk out and they step out and you just know, rich person. And maybe you stay at the door a little longer. Hey, let me hold the door for you. Maybe you'd like to get to know this person's story. And James says, another person comes in, maybe the same time, coming up the same door. But they didn't drive in. They weren't even driven in. They didn't even get to the parking lot because they were dropped off at the corner of Cambridge and Bedford Street from the bus. 
and they shuffle down, maybe because they have a walker or a cane, or, and they made their way down, and they came into the building, and you could see that they probably haven't eaten in a while, you can guess, but they definitely haven't showered in a while. And maybe they're a little loud because they're not as socially adapted as others, and maybe they have some mental and emotional challenges, and, and so they're, they're a little loud and they're a little awkward, and they're coming in at the same time as this other couple. James says, if you go to the rich man and treat him one way with kindness, and you go to the poor man and you treat him another way as if he doesn't deserve your attention, you're showing partiality. It says, pay attention to whom you pay attention. It's a problem that we all know is evident in our world. Everyone wants to talk about the places where discrimination and partiality show up. But it doesn't stop at the doors of a church, unfortunately. Our hearts gravitate towards a certain person, a group of people, and James says, pay attention. It happens in the church. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that churches looked like this in much of our country. You got a picture there, John? There's one. Oh, he's... There we go. Church like that, that um, some of you have seen churches like that. Maybe you've been to the old North Church in Boston and you've seen churches like that. Uh, and, and it's a pretty looking building, right? Now, what you, if you haven't been to one of these churches, do you know, you see all the boxes? Yeah. Uh, every, every little box. And can you see just on the outside of the box, there's a little black square. You know, you know what that is? Well, that's your nameplate. That's the pew that you bought, that you gave money to. That's where your family sits. So you come in with money and you get, and you sit in your pew. You sit in your place. But if, what if you don't have money to buy a pew? Now, it's not like that nowadays. This is a couple hundred years ago in our church. It's not, like, it's not like you come into church on Sunday morning and you have a particular chair that you feel like is your chair and that no one else would be sitting in. I know that's not you this morning. <laughs> that you come in on Sunday morning and someone's sitting where you usually sit and you think, oh, it must be first service people. <laughs> They don't know that I sit here. Maybe I should tell them. Don't tell them. I hope you don't even say that. I hope you don't even think that. But we do, don't we? It wasn't that long ago. It happens. James says, don't show partiality. Pay attention to whom you pay attention. Why? Two quick reasons. Two quick reasons why you need to pay attention to whom you pay attention. Because if you show partiality, it's inconsistent with who you say you are as a Christian. It's inconsistent with who you say you are as a Christian. James chapter 2 verse 1, we read it, says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In other words, he's saying, look, you call yourself a follower of Jesus... <laughs> and yet you're going to show preference to one person over another? You call yourself a follower of Jesus who cared about the poor, 
This Jesus who would touch people that no one else would touch, would heal people that no one else would heal, welcomed and crossed gender lines and crossed ethnic lines and crossed nationality lines and told children that other people wanted to go away. He crossed age lines. He told the children to come to him. This Jesus that was, had no place to lay his head, that was the son of a carpenter, this Jesus that had to be supported by other people during his earthly ministry, this Jesus that you say you follow and then you're going to treat a poor person in the way you do is inconsistent with who you say you are in Jesus. It's inconsistent. When you show partiality, you're giving a mixed message. In a sense, you're saying, you would never say this, but this is what our actions can say, There's one soul that's more valuable than another. That there's one, that this soul may be more important than another. James says, you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus and do this? That's inconsistent. He says, you're making, in verse 4, it says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's basically saying, look, you're thinking, if you act like this, your thinking has become corrupt. You're not even thinking right. If there's something in you that will allow you to make distinctions and divisions in the body of Christ that Christ died for, that there may be unity in, then your thinking has become corrupt. Because Jesus prayed that we would be one. Jesus prayed that his followers would love one another and be one. And so if you, man of God, or you, woman of God, are going to come in and say, no, 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 this person's more important than that person, we're going to make this division here and there, your thinking has become corrupt. Your thinking has become evil, it says in verse 4. You've become evil, you've become judges with evil thoughts. One of the reasons is because he says, hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? What James is talking about, there's all these scriptures where it says that God cares about the poor. That when everyone else pushes the widow and the orphan and the alien and the stranger and pushes them aside and won't help them, God watches out for them and cares for them and he says, you're supposed to too. And if you put off the poor and say you're not that important, you're inconsistent with who you say you worship. It's inconsistent. But the second reason that we shouldn't show partiality is because it's inconsistent with who, with what God tells us to do. It's inconsistent with what God tells us to do. If you look at verse 8, it says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. This is what James says. If you show partiality, if you bring division into your church, if you don't love each other and one another in a way that is equal, in a way that, that, that cares for all the souls and all the people in front of you that bear God's image, then you're committing sin. And here's the thing. I think sometimes 
what happens in the church, what happens as Christians, is we have sins that we know are really bad. Right? I mean, the ones that James mentions. Do not murder, do not commit adultery. Bad ones. Right? We got the top, they're in the top ten. They make the top ten list, right? Those are bad ones. And then we have others that we know are in there, but mm, we don't pay as much attention to them. Well, do not gossip. Gluttony. And I wonder if we also don't put partiality over here sometimes. I wonder if we don't allow ourselves sometimes to play favorites without realizing how serious God takes it. Because James makes no mistake about it here. He says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It's not just that I'm comfortable around one person or uncomfortable around another. It's not just that, oh, they probably don't want to know me anyways. Oh, there's someone else that will probably take care of that. It's not, it's not what it is. James says, if you show partiality, it's sin. So, I'm going to ask you this question because you might be sitting here, like I said in the beginning, and said, well, yeah, it's a problem, but not for me. So let me just ask you the question, who is it you pay attention to? Let me make it harder. Who don't you pay attention to? Who don't you, who are you tempted not to pay attention to? The word partiality that James uses literally translates to receive the face. In other words, I see your face and I've made my judgment of how I'm going to act and how I'm going to treat you. To receive the face. I'm not going to make my judgment on anything else other than what I see in your face, what I, see, what, what I can see by your appearance. Who were you tempted not to pay attention to just at that first appearance? Is it the old people in the church? Is it the young people in the church? Is it the poor person? The rich person? The person who doesn't look like you? The person who speaks a different language than you? The person who's sick or ill? The person who's a little socially awkward at times? The person with all those kids always running around and you don't know how to relate to that? I don't know. Who is it? Who are you tempted not to pay attention to? So that's what James is saying. If there are those people that in your church, when they come in, you're tempted not to pay attention to, then you're showing partiality, and partiality is a sin. And God takes it pretty seriously. The reason is because Jesus came with this New law that said, not only are you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he elevated another commandment. He called it, James calls it the royal law. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can't do that, then you've transgressed the law and you've become a sinner. So the bottom line is this, pay attention to whom you pay attention because God 
is paying attention to whom you pay attention. Pay attention to whom you pay attention because God is paying attention to whom you pay attention. It's important to God. But there's good news too. And here's the thing. Pay attention to whom you pay attention because God is paying attention. But pay attention to whom you pay attention because Jesus paid attention to you. And that's ultimately it, right? That's ultimately Jesus paid attention to you. There's many scriptures that talk about the fact that we didn't have anything to offer when we came to God. In fact, God came to us. Let me just share some with you, a couple with you this morning. Romans 5, 6. Romans 5, 6 says, while we were, skip, I know I skipped a couple scriptures on you, John. There we go. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were weak. We were ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In those two verses, how are we described? Weak, ungodly sinners. If you continued reading in that passage, it would say even more, we were living as enemies of God. Weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, and Christ came for you. Didn't show partiality against you. You didn't have anything to offer. I didn't have anything to offer. What we bring to the table is our sin and our need for a Savior. And God comes to us in that state and offers us salvation through Jesus Christ. And she'll pay attention to whom you pay attention because Jesus paid attention to you. He didn't say, oh, he's not rich enough. Oh, she's not smart enough. Oh, he's not worth it or she's not worth it. Not worth my time, not worth my energy, not worth my life, not worth my blood. He didn't say that. Jesus came and thought much of you. And so who are we to bring division and judge others with evil thoughts as if they're not worthy of our attention when God himself has given himself for them, created them in his image, and gave his son to die for them? Jesus paid attention to you. Jim Simbola pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And on September 11th, 2001, they lost four of their church members in the Twin Towers. One victim was a police officer. The officer's funeral was held at the church building and Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York City, had been asked to share a few thoughts. In Jim Simbola's book, You Are Made for More, He recounts the words of Mayor Giuliani at that service, and here's what he said. He said, you know, people, I've learned something through all of this, Giuliani says. Let me see if I can express it to you. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many blacks are up there for us to save? I wonder what percentage are whites up here. 
How many Jews are there? Let's see, are these people making 400,000 a year or 24,000 or no? When you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get the bosses out first? Not exactly. I confess I haven't always lived this way. But I'm convinced that God wants us to do it. He wants us to value every human life the way he does. I don't know what Giuliani's theology is on a regular basis, but that theology is actually pretty good. I think it lines up with James. James would say, pay attention to whom you pay attention because every life in front of you has value. So who is it you are tempted not to pay attention to? Who is it you are tempted to ignore? What are the people? You need to pay, we need to pay attention to whom we pay attention because God pays attention to whom we pay attention and because Jesus paid attention to you. What a subway and a church has in common is you might be sitting shoulder to shoulder with people who are very different than you. What a subway and a church, the way a subway and a church are different is you can go on a subway, and I hope we're nice to each other when we're on the subway, but you walk out the door and I never have to see those people again. I have no obligation to that person sitting beside me, and I don't expect any obligation from them to me, but not so when we are in the church. When we are in the church, the difference is we are called to love one another, to care for one another, to watch out for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. We are called to these people who may be very different than you in many ways, but are connected to you because of a mutual worship of God, connected through salvation and faith in Jesus Christ, to love each other, not to divide or show favoritism. In the church, we gather to worship. We gather to love each other. Three final quick things for you. These are short, but application points. One is this. Don't hear what James is not saying. Don't hear what James is not saying. Yes, we are to not we are to treat each other equally. Yes, we are to not show partiality. All of that true. But I feel like there's a need, I could leave it at that, but there's also a need in our current climate and society and culture to bring, I think, a little bit of clarification. Because we live in a climate and a culture that wants to toss around words like love and tolerance and openness and affirmation without defining them and just assuming that we all understand what we need by them. So don't hear what James isn't saying. James isn't saying that God doesn't have any moral standards. In fact, he said just the opposite. James isn't saying that it doesn't matter how you live, that just come and live whatever way you want and God's okay with that because God loves you. He didn't say that. He's not saying that. He's saying just don't be partial in the way that you treat people. So if there's a sin that's in the poor man's life and there's a sin that's in the rich man's life, then treat them equally in the same way that you would graciously, lovingly speak the truth in both situations. Not that we affirm every decision a person makes. We cannot affirm what God does not affirm. 
but we treat equally and not with partiality. So don't hear what James isn't saying. Yes, he's commanding us to love our neighbor, but understand it in the way that love with God is grace and truth. Secondly, this. It's much easier to apply this sermon to other people than to apply it to ourselves. It is much easier to hear this message and think about the places where I have been the victim of partiality, not when I have been the giver or oppressor when it comes to partiality. It's much easier to say, oh yeah, that time I walked into church and that person walked the other way, I know what they were thinking. Or that time, that person, yeah, I approached. Or it's much easier to look at it and remember the places we were slighted and we were hurt. It's much easier to find that speck in someone else's eye and miss the log that's in our own eye. So be careful. Be careful not to hear this message and be quick to apply it to someone else and not first search your own heart and say, God, where is this true in me? Third and finally this. Maybe you come to this and you say, I hear what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. I just know I can't do what you're saying because I know what's in my heart. And I wouldn't want anyone else to know what's in my heart because I know that I'm quick to judge. And I know that there's people I ignore and there's people I walk away from and I'm not proud of it, but it's true. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe you'd say there's anger, bitterness, hurt that's caused you to treat certain people just when you see their face one way. Maybe that's true for you. Well, here's the hope. The truth is that the royal law that James talks about, love your neighbor as yourself, is a lot like the old law in this. They both point out that we're sinners. They both show us that we fall short. I look at it, love your neighbor as yourself, and I look at myself, and what I know is I fall short. What I know is I don't always do it well. But that's the point of the gospel. The point is you don't leave it there. The point is you repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I know this is true in my heart. And now I see it even more clearly this morning because you're speaking to my heart and showing me the places where I've played favorites and had partiality. Lord, forgive me. And second, Holy Spirit, help me to live the life that you have called me to live, to love people the way you have called me to love people. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But I can't keep your commandments. And Jesus said, I will send you a helper in the Holy Spirit. And he will live within you. And that's the good news. Final quote. Philip Yancey. Uh, he was a Christian writer and theologian. He was talking to an Indian pastor once and uh, the Indian pastor told him this about his congregation and life in India and Christianity in his part of India. And I, I, our music team can come back as I'm reading this quote. We're going to close. Um, here's what he said. This Indian pastor told him. He said, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. He said, but in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, 
to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. And then Yancey says, diversity complicates rather than simplifies life. Perhaps for this reason, we tend to surround ourselves with people of similar age, economic class, and opinion. Church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together. Just yesterday, I sat sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up to a puffing oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who grunted loudly and contentedly through the sermon. Where else can we find that mixture? When I walk into a new church, the more its members resemble each other and resemble me, the more uncomfortable I feel. Let me read that again. When I walk into a new church, the more its members resemble each other and resemble me, the more uncomfortable I feel. I think in the natural and in the flesh, we're more comfortable when people look like us and resemble us and resemble each other. But if God is bringing together a people of every nation and every tribe, if God put his image on every person you ever look in their eyes, if God sent his son that whosoever would believe in me will have eternal life, then we ought to be sitting amidst a diversity of people who love each other and care for each other and aren't just sitting beside each other because you're in a subway train heading someplace, but are sitting beside each other because we love and care for one another. And let the church lead the way in showing how to have unity in diversity. Let the church lead the way in showing how people of different economic levels, people of different skin colors, people of different nationalities and ethnicities, people from one side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle can learn to love one another. The country is more divided than ever. And I think the prayer of Jesus for his church that they might love one another. And by this, no the world will know that they are my disciples. Be a more powerful witness now than maybe ever before. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning a broken people. People who are guilty of playing favorites. People who are guilty of showing favoritism. God, even in this room and even in these walls, we've done it. We're guilty. We've done it with each other. If we're honest, Lord, we have. God, forgive us. God, show us, each of us in our hearts. God, we're so tempted and it's so easy to point and look at someone else. God, show us our own hearts today as hard as it may be to see and hear. Show us our own partiality, favoritism, racism, discrimination, classism, all the places that it's creeped in. God, show us. Let it start with your church. Cleanse us that we might repent of those things. 
that you might forgive us and we might receive your forgiveness. And then God, by your Holy Spirit, give us the strength to live that way. To live the way you have called us to live. Lord, as we sing this song, would you search our hearts, cause us to respond to your word. God, with brokenness, repentance, and Lord, a longing for your power to act within us. Please, Lord, lead us.